Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving the perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wanda Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? Man, it's going good. It's going good. It's a Thursday, whatever day it is. I don't know. The time, the days are just going by. <laughs> They're mixed up. <laughs> They're mixed up, man. I, I can't keep up with anything these days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we have a lot of topics to get into today, as usual. We're going to get into um, a couple of uh, NFL draft thoughts and um, some NBA topics and a couple of uh, album reviews. In the second half, we're going to have a Goodfellas review. Um, but to start it off with just thoughts on um, the top-tier NFL draft picks and just a few of the players who might have the biggest amount of potential. Um, you know, looking at this 2021 draft class, Trevor Lawrence, uh, the presumed number one overall pick, has been touted as one of the most polished quarterback prospects ever. Um, you know, Kyle Pitts could, you know, not only be an elite tight end, but just simply a dominant pass catcher with, within any offense. Um, DeMar Chase um, is definitely, you know, has the makings of an elite playmaker on the perimeter. Devontae Smith is just an advanced route runner. And this QB class is, is very deep. And some are comparing it to the class of 04, but, you know, only time will be able to really reveal that outcome. Um, but, but looking at this draft, like, who are some of the players that stand out to you the most and could have, like, uh, in, ter- in terms of your opinion, uh, uh, just correlating with your opinion, maybe the biggest potential. I think Cal Pitts is definitely one guy that just wows you. <laughs> He's yeah. a little six six, running uh, almost a four three in the on the forty yard dash. I think he was clocked at a low four four, and just the, his ability to be a match a mismatch for a cornerbacks, linebackers, safeties, D linemen, the fans, the coach. It mismatch for everybody that's in the stadium, on the field, whatever. <laughs> um, but Cal Pitts is one of the guys who's willing to block the biggest thing we, we hear about tight ends and how they evolved as players is they don't block anymore. They're they're versatile. They catch, they do certain things. They can line up a slot now. They can line up at the one receiver. XYZ doesn't matter. A lot of it in backfield. Cal Pitts does all that and more and he, he's a willing blocker. He's a big guy, 230, 240 pounds. Like I say, he's 6'6". One, I think he can make an immediate impact for any team, especially uh, put him at the X, Y, and Z and also in the backfield because he has ability to do certain things that – just intangible things in a tight end position. And another guy I'm really big on that I wasn't big on, Zach Wilson. And mm. the reason why I wasn't big on him because he reminded me of, you know, Baker Mayfield, and I've been – I, I was big on Baker when he came out, and then his first couple of seasons, he had to get adjusted and do certain things differently. Now he does still force the ball. He does. He has the same. They have the same height, same build, same athleticism. They can extend plays. But I love his arm. I love his tenacity. He he, he does certain things as a quarterback that you cannot teach. And I'm, I'm yeah. I want to see him in the NFL. Can he make an immediate impact? And I think he can, especially when the the game is is all about quarterback instead of play and having a big arm. And he has both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and also, you know, dealing with, with uh, Trevor Lawrence um, as the expected number one pick in Jacksonville, he's yeah. been rated as the fourth highest graded QB prospect behind only John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck. Um, mm-hmm. uh, according according to the ESPN Stats and Info, the Jaguars have lost, you know, 10 or more games in nine of the past 10 seasons and definitely are going to need him to fix a very, you know, sub subpar offense that has existed over the last over the past decade, yeah. but do you think this rookie year for Trevor Lawrence will be one where he, where we instantly kind of see his upside, or do you think, like for some quarterbacks we've seen in the past years, it's going to take maybe it's more time for his development process? No, he's going to be a quarterback who makes an immediate impact, and I think with with the picks they have, they have another round one number pick at the twenty five, and I think they add another uh, a right tackle, left guard, or something, offensive lineman, and possibly another wide receiver uh, threat for him. But I think he's a guy who comes in and makes an immediate impact while attending. 
Yeah. I don't know, man. It's like I, we was, I was big on him when he came out of high school, and I seen what he did. He actually took over, um, I think, Kelly Bryant's position at one point, and then he never let up. He has the big arm. He can extend plays. He runs a subpar four, five, four, six. Uh, he's long, slim. He has good accuracy. He he got injured injured last year, but you know that's a freaking nature. But he's durable. He has the big arm. He's consistent. He's efficient in, in his strong abilities, and he does not force passes. And that's big yeah. coming into the NFL. And he and I don't want him to play hero ball, but I think he can play. He can make an immediate impact for uh, for Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Lord knows they need it because, jeez, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since they had yeah. They've had last success. year was sixteen to five eleven. The two thousand seventeen was ten to six, and they then you know lost in the playoffs and. Three and thirteen in two thousand sixteen. So it's time for the fans to get something, you know, other than miss you, whatever his name is, or Hachu, Hibachi, whatever. <laughs> but they had that season. They were in the AFC Championship against the Patriots and almost had a, a, a chance to, to 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 get over the hump. So I mean, they were they were really close one year, but I mean, still, but then, they I mean, just weren't they, able to close out the deal. But then they got rid of Jalen Ramsey and Dante Fowler yeah. and some other pieces that were key to their defense and offense, like Leonard Fournette. They let him go. So it's a, it's a lot of rebuilding for them. I don't want Trevor Lawrence to be seen as the hero, but I think he can make the big throws, NFL throws, other, outside of all these other quarterbacks that's in the draft. I think Trevor Lawrence can make those big throws every Thursday, mm-hmm. every Monday, every Sunday. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and th- there was more, you know, NFL news circulating um, uh, earlier today dealing with Aaron Rodgers in, in, in Green Bay. Yeah. Um, kind of <laughs> not news. I know you want to hear as a Packers fan, but essentially he's saying that he doesn't want to play in Green Bay anymore. Um, you know, telling members of, of the organization. And also there, Adam Schefter reported that, you know, he's kind of been disgruntled and their decision to trade up to draft quarterback Jordan Love in the first round of last year's draft also played in the role in that type of satis- dissatisfaction that he's currently having. Um, kind of like what are your your initial thoughts on, a, on a, a big headline like this that can really change the landscape of the league because they were just in the NFC Championship, weren't able, you know, came up short against Tampa Bay, and now this team could go through a, dr- a drastic overhaul and change for next season. Ooh, this is a this is a toughie for me, man. And Yeah, I know. Being being a Green Bay Packers fan and seeing what Aaron Rodgers has done in his team in his tenure, especially sitting after Brett Favre, man, what a career having an MVP season last year. But at certain point, at a certain point, an organization has to look towards the future. And I think he will. We will get some something from him. I think we trade him. I think there's talk about Bronco. The Broncos could possibly get him. I think he will fit perfectly with Broncos. Uh, Jared Judy will love him. <laughs> um, oh yeah. I, they're going to feast if he goes there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Jordan Love is more than capable of doing it. Um, getting the job done. I think our running game is good. Offensive line, we'll beat that up. Defense is definitely one of the focal points always each year. But I think we're in good hands if Aaron Rodgers leaves. I think we have a, a tremendous running game. Our offensive line is really good. We have some good wide receiver cores. Young guys who stepped up and grew. But it was the same thing when we saw Jordy Nelson leave, Randall Cobb. Donald Driver, Jennings, like the whole, you know, the people that we love to see every day and the the, the green and gold, but, man, I mean, green and yellow, sorry, green and yellow. Yeah, green and yellow. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's going to be tough. If he doesn't want to play, he doesn't want to play. I think he still has a couple years left in him, but I think for an organization, they look at it, okay, you could be a Tom Brady, but you could be a Tom Brady at another team. 
And that's exactly what Tom Brady did. He went to the if he, now he wins the Super Bowl with the Broncos, I'm be extremely I'm gonna be extremely mad. Like I'm, <laughs> yeah. that, that would not be the storyline you want for next no, season. <laughs> no, no. I mean, our defense played great ball though. Don't get me wrong, defense played great ball. They they got us out of certain situations when offense still made it in the second half. So I mean he wasn't all perfect. Um, but I mean I, he's he was he's replaceable, but he's irreplaceable for fans because we've seen him for the last ten years, you know. So it's yeah. going to be tough without yeah. seeing number 12 in the field. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a major adjustment for that type of situation. Um, transitioning to the NBA and just thoughts on how the Knicks have been extremely competent this year and what's kind of been the biggest factor. Um, they're currently fourth in the East, and before their eight-point loss to the Suns on Monday night, um, they won nine straight games, uh, their longest winning streak since the 2013 season when they won 13 in a row. Um, they're also on the verge of posting their first winning, winning record since that year. Um, Julius Randle um, is averaging a double-double, and R.J. Barrett is un- unquestionably living up to his potential. Um, but what do you feel as though is the biggest factor for the Knicks' uh, success this year as they've really kind of been able to turn around just the narrative that they can't be a competitive team? And, you know, even LeBron was saying, like, it's always good for the league when the, when the Knicks are successful, and they really, there really has been a turnaround for them this, this year. You know, Julius Randle, man, what a, yeah. what, a, what a season he's having in – you look at his progression from uh, the Pelicans, from the Lakers, now with the Knicks. Like he's progressing. We 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 I've counted him out a couple times, especially when he left the Lakers. I'm like, ah, maybe this guy just can't get it right. But his averages in points, rebounds goes up consistently each year. Uh, the other game he had 34 points, four from seven from three point line, perfect from the free throw line. Well, three point line, perfect from the free throw line. And I think he's playing great defense and great basketball. I think he's that nighter and the role players. There are a lot of they're hitting some big threes, man. RG Barrett is playing really good. Uh Bullock had 13 points, three from five from three-point line the other day. Um, so I think it's the role players and Julius Randle actually being able to spread his wings and show us what he got. Show me what you got, little mom. Show me what you got, baby. Um, shout out to Jay-Z because it's a New York thing. I, I thought I'd just put that in there because it's New York. New <laughs> York, New York. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I think Julius Reynolds is, is, is a spark, man. I think he's playing great basketball, man. He looks good. He looks looks leaner. I, I, now I, I wish I never took for granted those videos we saw in the summer, him working out <laughs> and them going against yeah. um, uh, Beasley and the other guys, you know, the other NFL, I mean, NBA players, man. But yeah, Julius Reynolds is definitely the igniter for this basketball. Yeah, and there's the thing with New York, this the city of New York saying that, because I heard this, this this growing like sentiment that even though Brooklyn's the one seed and they they have the best record in the East so far, mm-hmm. people in New York care about, still care about the Knicks more. <laughs> like, it's, it's just one of those things. It's, it's so interesting because it's, it's so interesting because it's, it's, it's kind of like that. that is really like, even though Brooklyn is having a phenomenal season, they have three of the top players um, in the league, the Knicks... They just have the city's heart more. Like, does that surprise you that it's still that way, or do you feel as though it's one of those things that just the history of that team and 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 how you know they've been the mega basketball for so long? It's kind right. of why they they still kind of have that growing sentiment from the people in New York. That I mean, they could go zero and eighty six, or how many games the NBA play, they still be the favorite out of out of New York just because one, like you said, they're the mecca, and then two, they're New York Knicks, baby. Like with a couple away, yeah. like like Dipping Tell always gives me what he, he says about me. whatever. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it is crazy, uh, especially when they had the name change. They was the uh, New Jersey uh, Nets, and then they went to the Brooklyn Nets, and that really didn't do anything. People were like, okay, they're still New Jersey. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you people move didn't them. care at all. They're like, okay, no, <laughs> no. I, if Brooklyn Nets somehow win the NBA Finals in the, in, or the NBA champions this year, 
they still gonna be rooting for the Knicks. Exactly. That's the thing. Even if they win it all, the Knicks are still gonna be what people care about. It's loyalty, man. It's a loyalty thing. It's it's they're New York fans. It's like the Clippers. Yeah. Like exactly. if the Clippers were able to the Lakers would still be more cared cared about more. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If if the Clippers won it last year, they would have you know what I mean? So it's kinda crazy. I don't I don't know, man. Because if I was in New York, I would go for the better team. The better team, yeah. Exactly. Team. But you know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm glad they're loyal, though. I'm glad they're loyal to New York Knicks. Because, I mean, they're still playing. They're number four in the East. It's a possibility yeah. they could take it off. Really good season. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, transitioning to Portland's recent struggles and just you know how they can turn it around. Um, the Trailblazers are currently seventh in the West and have lost um, seven of their last ten games. And this past Sunday, after they had a set a record in their loss to the Grizzlies on Friday, with their fourth straight loss at home by a combined five points. Um, low, lowest margin in league history and Damian Lillard after Sunday's loss to the Grizzlies said quote um, I'm not playing well enough I'm on the floor because that gives our team the best chance to win I've got to be better end quote um, but what are your thoughts on the recent struggles the Blazers have had and how they can turn it around because we're used to seeing them be kind of even a top four top five seed in the west um, we saw what they were able to do last year you know had a, a great game one against the Lakers weren't able to like continue that on but what do you think is in particular could they kind of use to turn this season around? Damian Lillard. Damian yeah. Lillard. That's we we know that's CJ. Simple. <laughs> it, it's super simple, man. Because when your your best guy goes two for two for nine from three point line, six for fifteen for the field goal, twenty three points. I mean, it's still three twenty three points, but the, those shots he makes in his sleep. And that was that was uh that was yesterday or a couple days ago. So you you look at that. You look at Covington. Covington's been in a slump. Since, since the season started. And the Coven is a three-point guy. He's, he's on the wing. So, and then CJ McCollum is, is giving you consistent buckets. But when you're two guys like Damian Lillard and Covington is not doing their job. And, I mean, your kick is, is doing pretty decent, but it's Damian Lillard's team. It's Damian Lillard's team. Nobody else. He's the leader on that basketball team. If he's playing like crap, then it's going to show. Obviously, they're in a 10-game losing streak and they're in a slump. And then Covington, I'm so surprised at Covington. Because he was acquired for, for that reason, that purpose. Exactly. So I don't know, man. I think it's, mm -hmm. it starts with Damian Lillard for sure. And it, it starts with the role players. CJ McCollum, no no fault to CJ McCollum this time. Because when it comes to playoffs, I, I'm i on him like wide on my Oh, yeah. You know it. <laughs> You're the toughest critic of CJ McCollum. Because <laughs> he, yo, he's so good, but it never resonates to the playoffs. Come on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and that definitely is something because, like, that duo was one of the best backcourts in the West. Um, and yes. when, they, when they have it really clicking on all cylinders, like they're able to just put up amazing scoring totals and really give defenses uh, uh, fits. Um, but um, also looking at another team in the West who just clinched a playoff spot, Phoenix. This is their first playoff berth since 2010. Chris Paul was saying he's really happy that the league is going to be able to see Devin Booker um, in the playoffs this year. Um, we were just talking about them a couple episodes ago, but like, what are your thoughts on Phoenix? Because this is a team that, I, like I, I know they're not deemed as as one of the original favorites, but this is a team that really seems with Chris Paul's leadership that could be an actual threat. Like could at least get to the conference finals if things turn out for them. You know what? I think one thing I didn't say about them. I think Chris Paul allows uh, Booker to get to his spots, get to his sweet spots. We we know all like players have their sweet sweet spots or places they want to get to, and they don't have to dribble to. I think. Chris Paul allows the offense to move so smoothly, so so fluently that yeah. Booker can get to his spots, make certain shots. He doesn't have to have all the weight on him. And then when you have a field general like Chris Paul, it makes things easier. It makes it easier for your coach. It makes it easier for the players because now they trust the veteran 
and he already knows what to do because he's played with less at OKC. So we know the, the capability of a leader, of what Chris Paul is, and now you're allowing your, one of your best guys to get to his points, get to his spots on the, on the court without having to struggle to get there or having to, to create his own shot to get there, which he can, don't get me wrong, but it, it's, so, it's, mo- it's so much better for a basketball player to be able to get to his spots without having to force him. So, I mean, force tough shots, I would say. Basketball analysts and everybody love talking about tough shot. Well, that's a tough shot. So without him having to make tough shots, but I think Chris Paul makes things easier and it simplifies the offense. It simplifies the defense, backward, front court. Um, I think that's the difference. And now that Chris oh, yeah. Is, yeah, man, that's definitely the difference, man. And I forgot to say that the other time. The other day. I feel like I'm really He's made such a drastic difference there. I mean, Devin Booker's ascent is, is going as high as it can, but, but Chris Paul's really spearheading uh, – that, that type of charge. Um, one more thing before we get to our music review uh, uh, reviews. Steph Curry, he's having one of the best seasons he's possibly ever had. Um, Jokic is having a really good season as well. Embiid, you know, he's been in and out. But in terms, this has been a very different MVP race. Is there any player in particular that you think should be the, the number one, um, like uh, the, the, the number one favorite for the MVP this year? Or do you think it's kind of just been too hard to tell? Because those three guys have kind of been three of the most consistent players so far this year. Steph Curry, hands down. Mm-hmm. If you look at 2015 and 2016 when he won back-to-back, those numbers are better this year. Yeah. There you go. If you want a unanimous – You could actually back- make the case. This, this is his best year. <laughs> yes, best year. And those back-to-back was like, mm, okay, y'all doing too much. Y'all just trying to, you know, keep the popularity. Build up a narrative. Is- exactly. But this year, for sure, he's if he doesn't win MVP, something's wrong. Something's definitely yeah. wrong. And B, like you said, in, is in and out. Jokic is playing good ball, but the, Steph Curry is playing out of his mind right now. He's the and, only reason this team has a chance to get to be in the playoffs. The only reason. Exactly. And we were just talking about that. I mean, the, a couple episodes, a couple podcasts ago, about yeah. I wanted to see if Steph Curry can lead this team to the playoffs, and he's doing just that. So MVP right there. If you can lead a team like that, when you have the big guns and you're, some of your guys are out in the supporting role or not doing their job. You can lead him like LeBron did. LeBron should have won the MVP that year, but no, I digress. <laughs> but Steph Curry is the clear front runner. If he doesn't win, it's something's wrong because he's playing lights out. Yeah, absolutely. And tra- transitioning to our album reviews, to start off with uh, Drake's uh, views and, and, and just the five-year anniversary of it today and what made this project another impressive uh, body of work looking back at it. Um, and, and the year this album came back uh, came out from 2016, there's just many singles placed in it that contain all the things that we enjoy about Drake's music. Um, With You is just kind of like an ideal summer track. Um, Fire and Desire, a, a, you know, really groovy element to it. Uh, Redemption, Skill Here have a, more of a vulnerable side. And then plus um, the feature from Rihanna and Too Good is always, you know, mm-hmm. a, an elite type of track because whenever they do music together, it's always amazing. Um, Controller and One Dance uh, were, were, you know, undeniable hits. Um, but kind of like, what are your thoughts on how this album has aged along with it being one of his most criticized projects? Because even when you look at this release, there were other top two releases as well, because I think Rihanna uh, had her um, anti-album out, also Kanye's Life of Pablo. And this is kind of his most like divided type of re- re- reception that he ever got on an album. So kind of like looking right. back at it, um, how do you feel it's aged five years later? See, I was on the good side of this. Yeah. Like when, we, we, we had a couple songs that leaked. Um, before he um, before he dropped this, I think it was a couple songs like um, uh, uh, which ones? It was a couple. Was uh, it pop style? Not pop style. It was with uh, Pimp C. 
Then he added the vision. Oh, faithful. Added, faithful. Faithful. Yeah. We, we heard that first. And I was like, oh, yeah, this album's going to be dope. And I think Pop Style, um, who had um, Kanye on it, it was a song that had Kanye. Kanye, but he, instead of like legal something, he took him off and he did it himself. I think, um, I think it was Pop Style. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, it was Pop Style. So, like, this, I was on the good side of this album. I thought there was a great body of work. A lot of people shredded it um, from his. Um, you want to walk around naked and not see my homies? Or I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm paraphrasing right. of course, but like they and, it's, and then they kept talking about all his yes. Like, okay, Drake says yeah, yeah, it says yeah. a lot. Yeah, like <laughs> before it's, he says it, you know it's gonna be a fire track. <laughs> exactly, but no, I like I love every song on this track, man, from beginning to end because it, it told the narrative, and then he gave us everything. Like he gave us the lyricism, he gave us the the dance hall control, like the melodies he gave us himself. Man, this is a timeless. And he said it himself. He said it himself that most people want to get this album to later down the road. And one yeah. guy for sure was um, uh, what's his name? Battle rapper he has a podcast. Was uh, older guy. guy. Ball guy. Oh, Joe Budden. Joe Budden. Thank you. That's why I'm willing to. <laughs> we love talking about Joe Budden. <laughs> oh, Joe Budden. And Joe Budden had to retract his, his statement and come out like, okay, now nah, this this album was. Really they fun. they joke about it now. Like they even joke about it now. Joe said like, yo, that's that was an amazing project. I was dead wrong about that. And then you you and, and I think it's you and Maury said summers uh summers over interlude was like a a, a dead kill. I'm like what? Mm. <laughs> that song was mm. fire, bro. Come on, Willington. Come come. T- I'm going to re-listen to it during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Summer's Overs interlude was dope. Fire and Desire, Too Good is definitely one of my favorites. Redemption, oh, You yeah. With Me. Uh, Feel No Ways, I really like that. Very and then, good track. Um, with You, with Party Next Door, I love that track. Um, so he gave us everything. He gave us dance hall, he gave us lyricism and Western Road flows. He gave us one of those, you know, beginning. And it's, it's beginning and end tracks are always fire. It's just like surgery. And, and I got a, and I got another question for you. Why is "Keep the Family Close" hated on? That's one of his know. best intros ever. That's one of his best intros ever. Yes, like, like that is an amazing intro. Exactly, and I don't understand. And like, it's so catchy in the beginning, bro. Like, I don't understand. Keep your family close. I thought he was talking about Nicki Minaj. Mm. About the the McMill situation. Yeah. I thought he was talking about Nicki because he's been vocal about them falling out before. Um, I'm not talking to Nicki. Um, I, t- I, I slipped on some personal ish or something like that. He was taking another song, and I'm thinking like maybe he didn't say her name this time, but he was talking about Nicki Minaj. She's supposed to be on my side. Like, I guess I got to keep the family close. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I thought he was talking about Nicki Minaj, but fa- yeah, keep family close is definitely is is top three, top five intros. Yeah, intros. Being um, he's the king of intros. Drake is the king. Oh, of- for sure. Tuscan leather is definitely Tuscan leather is definitely up there. Yeah, Tuscan leather and- smelling like a brick. <sighs> Tough. And, and, and I mean, before we transition to, to, the, to the next review, like they're looking back at his albums, like there's the narrative that some people say, like, some of his critics say, like he doesn't have a classic album. I, I definitely think "Take Care Nothing" was the same yes. classic albums. Do you yes. think "Use" is? Would you label it label it as like a really underrated project, or would you label it as another classic album? Because it, I, I feel as though it's a really good project. I don't know if it's still kind of the same level that "Nothing Was the Same" and "Take Care" were. Because even looking forward to like more music that he does, I don't feel like he really has to put out a lot of classes classics because he's kind of like has maybe two or three even so far right if you look at it 
what what qualifies an album or a project to be a classic? Is it the hits that are on there? The the amount of songs do you skip some of the songs? Like if you if you think about what makes a, an album classic, all that ingredients is in views because he has so many hits on here. Um, you yeah. with me? Redemption, uh, controller, child's play is a big one. Too good is a big one. Fire desire is subtle. Um, if you want to go there, Western Road Flows is a good one. Still here, pop style. Like there's hits on here. Like yeah, it's a lot of hits. So what is the premise of a album that is classic? If we say that Take Care and Nothing Was the Same or classics has the same MO. Mm. If you look at it, especially Take Care. Because it's, it's, it's exactly the same formula, but in different styles. Because he gave us, on Take Care, he gave us the dance all type verse. He gave us the, the lyricism. He gave us the up-tempo, um, what's the song? Ah, what's the song? Too much on confidence, overdose on confidence. Starting out the game. Oh, headlines. Headlines. Like, he gave us those those catchy, like, it's the same MO. So if we if we consider Take Care and Nothing Was the Same classic, I think Views is a classic, too. He's got three. Yeah. He's got three guys. You heard it here. Now, Scorpion is definitely <laughs> not a classic. It got some bangers no. on there, but Scorpion is not a classic. Fire, um, Thank Me Letter was was close. It got some nice songs on there, but it was close. Um, yeah. But not, not a classic. Yeah, definitely. Um, transitioning to, to Solange's uh, When I Get Home review, um, this was her fourth album from 2019, and it was you know ambient along with the exploratory. It included spiritual jazz and broader hometown elements with its exceptional production and song craft. Um, she said in an interview even before the album that the making of it took her back to a to quote a kind of Houston in the mind end quote and there's not you know traditional uh, song structure in when I get home and how it's finalized sonically and thematically with an ambiguous theme just makes it feel freer um, but kind of like what are your thoughts on how this album from Solange had a lot of repetition that you know correlated with the meditative state that um, she was trying to reach this project. You know what? That's what I love about this project because it didn't have the identity of a normal project or a normal album or how the structure is. She let songs flow, and I love the spiritual jazz she has in her music. And we, it's a difference. I think the vibe is different. It reminds me of a, I want, I want to say it diluted, but it's similar to Erica Badu or um, Indy Irie. That that type of vibe, that earthy vibe, that spiritual, like it. I don't know. It, it flows. It is not going to have structure on it. Because one, that puts those type of artists in boxes. No, they can do that. But I, I like how she just let things flow in the production and the features. But the one thing I do love about this album, besides her singing, because Solange can blow, she can sing, yeah. it's how she didn't have those constraints constraint on her music and just let it flow without having a structure of the ideal, like, ideal song or ideal uh, project or album. But yeah, the, yeah, she she did her thing. She did her thing, and it was like 2019. It's still it's still a hit. You know what I mean? It's still, still a hit. It's good. Yeah, and yeah. I'm mad she didn't drop anything else. I mean, yeah, I that, that's what I was thinking too. Like, I'm surprised she hasn't. There hasn't been any drop after that. Um, um, and we still haven't had one yet. Maybe maybe she was thinking like, okay, let me let me make sure y'all know I can do this too. Like, I, I'm still that girl. Like, yeah, I, I know I punched <laughs> my brother in law in the. <laughs> No. <laughs> I know you had to go there. You had to go there. It was right there. But, we yeah, got the footage. We, have, we got the footage. We got her walking out looking so mean. Beyonce just smiling. I told you stop messing with my sister. I told you. I'm not going to say coming. Right. She going to get Look, we from Houston, baby. <laughs> 
But no, yeah, 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 man. Like, like, I, like um, Chris Rock said, that was Blueprint 3, Jay-Z. That wasn't Blueprint 1. That was, that was restricted. <laughs> <laughs> That's not having money in the dresser, uh, Jay-Z. That was, you know... <laughs> Show me what you got, little mama. That was that, that was that Jay Z. You know what I mean? Oh man. Um, but, but there's also been uh, a couple of, couple of other music news. You know, DJ Khaled. He's he's coming out with with a new album later tonight. <sighs> got to I mean, the list, the track list. He's got Nas and Jay Z on the track together. Um, Migos, her. Obviously, like you know, little baby, um, Ronnie Rich. Like he's always gonna have a star-studded uh, track a track list. So he's got we got that. And also, TDE made announcement that. Um, May seventh, one of their artists is going to be dropping something. I, I don't. I, people are going crazy that it's going to be Kendrick. Kendrick I, I doubt he will drop nah, something. It's going to be Isaiah. It's going to be Isaiah. Exactly. That, that, that's what I was trying to. I think it's going to be Isaiah Rashad. So, so kind of like, what are your thoughts on some of the features DJ Khaled has, and also a possible new album from Isaiah Rashad? Boo, 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 DJ Khaled. You have all these artists, and most of the time, those songs are not even good. They give you throwaway songs. Yeah, he always does that. Yeah. And you they expected to go like no like <laughs> for free was your best song ever given oh, for yeah, free was ever best and then um Jermaine interlude that was a dope song I still listen to that oh yeah but everything I mean you got the key and the keys was was a good one but other than that bro they give you throwaway songs and you expect us to be like oh it's yeah, literally a who's who it's a who's who get together like that's really all yes. it's, it's industry update it's not like really like a, a, a it's not it's not really an album you can review. <laughs> Right, like I'm not excited about it. When I see those all those artists, like yeah, I'm glad they probably he probably hounded them for months trying to get that song, and it was like, man, give me this, get this man this song, so he can stop texting me, calling, emailing. It's like that pop star video when Drake was like on his yeah, studio, exactly. like, even making an album. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I think that was so realistic. I think like so. Drake was like, man, give me butter, better, better, better. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I know he was thinking like that, like DJ Khaled, like Khaled, like you, you're a good back dude. Off. <laughs> but, dude, back up, you back. You sing, DJ Khaled, you do something. Go DJ again. I don't know. But no, I'm more excited about Isaiah Rashad. Yes. Because he hasn't dropped something like since 2016. Since 2016. Yeah. But he was on this song with uh, Reasons on his album. It was Reasons, uh, Isaiah Rashad, and Jid, J-I-D. Um, and that song was a. I was like, bro, why this man don't drop music anymore? So I hope it. I know it's not gonna be reasons. I know it's not gonna be Kendrick. I know it's not gonna be um, I forget J Rock. It's not gonna be SZA either. It has to be Isaiah Rashad. It's got to be. It I'm looking to be forward Isaiah to that one. Rashad. Me too, because I will. That thing will be on repeat. Are you looking forward to it more than JID's new album coming out later this year? I know. I know you're big on JID, man. He can spit, man. <sighs> That man, that man is different. The idea is tough. <laughs> I, saw, I hope he got a song with Drake. Oh, yeah. Got a picture together. Yeah. Yeah, got a picture. I hope he got a song. Like, what if he... I, I still got Mars. I said uh, September, right? I said yeah, September. You said September. I said June. Uh, Marie said July, so... No, I didn't say September. I said oh, no, October. 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 I said October. I, I said, said June. October. Marie said July. The more... I'm telling you, he's, he's an overthinker. He's a perfectionist. So he's not he's not gonna drop anything in the summer because that's not his vibes are not summer vibes. Mm. He never drops something in So the you summer. think certified lover boy is gonna be more of a fall type of vibe? Yes, for yeah. sure. But the the, the the songs that was leaked, the couple of songs that were leaked or whatever, I think there is if, if it's certified lover boy, it has to be some lovey dovey, you know what I'm saying? Some some winter 
cold, snuggle up and do your fitness type of vibe. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, he never drops like something big in the snuggled up with, 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 with Snow Allegra singing over the two. <laughs> you gotta have Snow Allegra on this album. <laughs> no, yeah, that'd be dope actually. That'd be, yeah. I think their voice would go together. Um, but if you think about it, I think what's next was the blueprint of when he's dropping his album. He said, they want to know, some all they did was stretch, okay, no, 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 Valentine's Day. Like, wait a Yeah, this is, I'm going to wait. Like, that's why he dropped, like, I'm telling you, it's either going to be close, it's going to be close to October, I don't care. It's going to be, it's not going to be a summer, though. He never drops projects in the summer. It's Scorpion, he did. That was the last one, and, and he never should have dropped Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> what, no, when did he drop Scorpion? Uh, June. He did not drop it in June. Yeah, June 29, 2018. Oh, that's what I flopped. Well, it didn't flop, but it didn't flop, but it wasn't, it wasn't a good project to me. Yeah. It wasn't. Like, he had some, like, 8 out of 10 was really dope. Jaded was really dope. Finesse. The back end of it, when he was talking about his son, it's like, you know, those other, oh, Blue Tent was really dope. But it just had some songs on it. I was like, yo, that's too long. You yeah. are in your feelings, and you're not thinking straight, Drake. Some of these songs should have made it. <laughs> But, anyway. but I, I, October really is. I mean, I don't think he's ever dropped an album in October. That that would be an amazing month to drop. Certified Lover Boy October's OVO. Yeah, I think it's. I Makes don't a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but Savon would not be mad if he dropped sooner. I don't think Savon would be mad if he dropped sooner. I hope he's nope. Because when he dropped what's next in the other two other two tracks, he I'm wasn't like, mad. <laughs> like I didn't even believe you. I didn't even believe yeah. you. He was, he was like, oh, he's dropping. I was like, I believe when I see it. Like, I'm yeah. not even, but I'll be playing what's next. Okay? Okay? okay. okay. Like, yo, bro, that's, my <laughs> that's my joke. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Goodfellas review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our Goodfellas review. And to start with the overview, Goodfellas is a 1990 um, biographical crime film directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Nicholas Pileggi. Um, and Scorsese and produced by um, Erwin Winkler. It is a film adaptation of the 1985 nonfiction book, Wise Guy by Pelleggi, starring Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci, Lorraine Bracco, and Paul Sorvino. The film narrates the rise and fall of mob associate Henry Hill and his friends um, and family from 1955 to 1980. At a budget of 25 million and brought in 47.1 million into the box office, um, has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and was nominated for six Academy Awards including Best Picture and Best Director with Pesci winning for Best Supporting Actor. And um, in the gangster genre, it's unanimously regarded as simply just one of the greatest films ever made and its continent style have been, you know, emulated in a variety of other films and television series. Um, but what were your initial thoughts of this film? And also, do you think it was the high, it could possibly be the high point of uh, Martin Scorsese's story career? Oh, for sure. Um, I think before he did with Taxi Driver and a couple other films, um yeah but for this i think this was a all-around great film <clears throat> like what i mean all around from from the actors from the story from the realistic like they 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 made sure the story was like almost close to the real thing without giving anybody weight yeah you know? it got I mean, really close to the real thing <laughs> i mean even though henry hill was like really involved with it and i think i think yeah. he was on set pretty much all the time just talking to Martin Scorsese or something like that. And I saw his interview about watching the movie again over like 20 years or something like that. He hasn't watched it since it came out. Um, and just watching him go over again, he was like, yeah, that wasn't true. We did this different. He was just giving definitions and stuff like that. But no, I think it was, I think it was more, it was realistic, especially for Joe Pesci. And then Harry Hill said it himself, like 
Joe Pesci's um, performance was so realistic because he used to hang around the wise guys, hang around mobsters and guys he grew up with, and that's how he knew how to talk like them, how to walk like them. It was more realistic because he grew up around them. So um, I think the the performance was definitely realistic, and then the storyline was definitely realistic. Yeah, absolutely, and. I mean, this is, there's so many like great Scorsese films and, you know, this has been circulated around for for so many years. Like this is, to me, this is the type of movie that whenever it's on, if you're just living through the channels and you see one scene, like you're going to stay and watch it. Like like in terms of just a movie having that cap, that just captivating element of, even though you've seen it millions of times, like what in particular, like like you feel as though that's the barometer of what makes a classic film that even any point in any scene of the movie, you're going to just, be just kind of captivated and just drawn in to like even watch it again, even though you've seen it countless times. Right. Yeah. I think that's definitely um, <clears throat> a characteristic you have for a great film. You know, some movies you catch at the right scene, even like, oh, let me watch it. If you catch it on another yeah. scene, like, mm, whatever. Like, like you said, for the Goodfellas, like you catch it on the beginning, you catch it on the credits. If you got TiVo or whatever, <laughs> you got to rewind it back and try to watch it over. But I think yeah. that's that's a I think that's the epitome of a good film and what they've done to the film, um, especially when they go. No, oh, I think I'm funny. Like funny how? Like if I'm on that scene, like bro, I'm just going like. I'm scared for Henry Hill. I'm like, oh shoot, right? Like, oh wait, wait, wait. You know, like yeah, you funny. Like yeah, you funny. Like yeah. No, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? I'm funny. Like clown funny. Like what do you, what do you mean? like? Like that's the best scene ever. Like it's one of the top oh, top yeah top great scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to one of four stars, um, from uh, uh, from one of four stars, what would you give it? Um, definitely four. It, it's you know complex, ironic, and just volatile. There's so many dynamic performances located in here, and to me, it's just a triumphant piece of, of mm-hmm. um, filmmaking journalism. Um, but to you, kind of like, what do you think makes this um uh, a four star film in particular? Ooh, four definitely four star. I think, mm, I think the performance of Joe Pesci was definitely yeah. He sold my, the show. He's, he definitely stole the show. I love how they gave you the in, ins and out of the the wise guys or the termination of the ter- terminology of what a wise guy is, wise guy is, and just how they predicted um, or pre, you know of Hearing Hill, like how he was. Uh, I think it was way more. He did way more than they showed. I think, but yeah. for <laughs> definitely, definitely did more. <laughs> But I think it was a four star because of, I mean, once again, this pretty much is based off Henry Hill's life and just the the mob, like, you know what I mean? The, the wise guys, I think that's why it's a four star. And, and they did it in such a way that was so authentic to uh, his story and well as the other guys who were depicted in it, um, especially the, the head mob guy, the head boss, I forgot his name. Um, Paulie? Yeah, Paulie, yeah, yeah, Paulie. Yeah. Paulie didn't play the radio, man. Paulie was all about family mm-hmm. and order and, and, and tradition. Yeah. He was a big, you know, a big guy on tradition. Never crossed any lines. Never. And if you did, you got to go. You got to go. You muddy yeah. the water. We don't, we don't play that in the mob. So especially in slicing the garlic with a razor. Like. <laughs> Folly, baby. Oh, man. Uh, but, but Tristan needs a favorite character. Um, you know, a, a character that obviously, I mean, he, he's the head of this film. Really a fascinating look into what Henry Hill was. You know, he's a great protagonist for this type of film because there's a contrast in his desires for the mob life. You know, he wants the glitz, glamour, and money, but can't really handle um, the nitty gritty elements of it. And there's just so much nuance in this performance from, from Ray Liotta. And 
formative details are, are delayed until the bigger moments. Um, so you looking back at this one, who was kind of like your particular favorite character? Of course, um, uh, Tommy DeVito. Tommy, yeah. yeah. Even up to his demise. <clears throat> even up to his demise, excuse me. And uh, he was just, he just stole the show. He was a little spitfire guy. <laughs> he didn't play the radio. He gonna let you know, funny, funny how. Like, that, that's like the best scene ever. It's the best scene ever. And he does that in all his films. He was a tough guy in all the films. He's like four foot three. With a, with a, was Pesci a better in Goodfellas or Casino? Casino. Yeah. He got to strut his legs a little bit. He, I think him. He got more space to, yes. to be himself. Yes, and I think with doing Goodfellas, <clears throat> excuse me, good, doing Goodfellas kind of opened, obviously opened the door for Casino because he he always works with those guys, anyways. But I think he gave him more of an in depth role and he let him develop the character the way he saw fit. Because certain things, I mean, certain things he did, I don't think it was in the script. But you know, Mars Scorsese was a guy he likes you know golf script. Like if you have something golf script, let's shoot it. Like I'll shoot it thirty thousand times and we'll go with the best one. And that's the type of the director Mars Scorsese is. So he allow you to develop the character how you think the character should develop and i think that's his performance at casino was way better and his role was bigger he was like oh yeah I, yeah i mean robert de niro was uh you know the head honcho but i think the supporting cast he had a bigger supporting uh supporting role in casino and we saw him at his at his best yeah the fact that scorsese can essentially almost use the same cast for two different movies this is crazy <laughs> like and the fact that you're not tired of either one like that's that goes to a testament of what scorsese can do i mean that that nuance that he was able to just move around the pieces and you know have a, a couple of different characters is just uh, an insane element. And then know who works with who works well. What <clears throat> know what actor works well with the other actor. Like we saw the chemistry they had just with their two Robert De Niro supporting guys or supporting role with Joe Pesci's supporting role. Now okay, let's put them all together in a big screen with a bigger role. Let's see what they do. And they they may go. Casino is still one of my favorite films. Like to this day, it's long. Mars Scorsese, oh, Mars Scorsese films are long, but but Casino, I no. like Casino over Goodfellas. Oh yeah, yeah, that, that was nothing I was about to get to. Which one do you think was better? Uh, it's it's a. It, I would still, I, I would take Goodfellas personally. But I definitely see how someone could take Casino because, especially like Pesci, just kind of has. If this was an A performance, like Casino was like an A plus performance for him, and it was just it was just an extremely top tier one where he was just able to be in his element. And I think De Niro's performance in Casino was like really good as well, um, being the so-and-so called Jew, and he's not even Jewish in real life. I think he's Irish or something. I forgot what Robert De Niro's uh, background is. But for <laughs> him to play these, like I, I don't know, I, I, I take Casino over uh, Goodfellas for I don't know. It's I think it's more entertaining, and it's about like the because we get okay the mobsters. Now we get was Goodfellas a little predictable to you compared to Casino? I think both were pretty predictable. At some yeah. at some point, they're going to everything. The high road is going to come to an end. Somebody's going to mess up. The somebody's run is going to end. Yeah, somebody's going to be bigger than what they. And you know, we know how Joe Pesci will. I guess Timmy DeVito died in Goodfellas, and now we know at certain point, if you're doing so much out there, the original standard of the mob, or the original standard of where you you know in the in the mob is going to come back to fruition. And like, okay, this is the standards. You're not doing the standard now. Now everything is, you know, especially casino. I like how they kill people in casino. Like it was dope. Like <laughs> I like how they killed the people in casino. Casino had better kills. <laughs> yes. No. Like you, you, like you've been. You think I'm funny? Like I'm being so serious. Like oh, it definitely did. No, I agree. Casino definitely had better kills. It, it, it definitely did. 
Yeah. Um, but but transitioning to most memorable scenes, um, I had the Copacabana scene, you know, where Henry turns to the uh, Copacabana nightclub. Um, I, I know we're going through the scene. Funny how wins. Funny how wins. Yes, I mean, yeah. it's it it funny how I'm just going through the list. But, but funny how is definitely the top one. Um, you know, as far back as I can remember, the opening scene where, where Henry, Jimmy, uh, and Tommy drive out um, into the countryside in the middle of the night with Billy Bat Spotty in the trunk. Um, the pistol whip where Karen is attacked by one of her neighbors and calls Henry to pick her up. Um, Tommy kills Spider. Um, also, Henry waking up to Karen pointing a gun at his face. And then finally, the uh, helicopter starting uh, starting to follow Henry around. And here you've got just a frantic, feverish, and, and um, climatic sequence. And it's just a superior type of cinematic portrayal of paranoia ever to be put on, on screen. We both agree with Funny how, like, when you see a scene like that, is it, like, instantly when you see it, do you feel as though, like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen? Or is it just one of those things where how it was played out, you could just tell, like, this is going to be one of the most memorable scenes I've ever seen in the film? I think, man, I think... a lot of it felt impromptu. Yeah. I want to I see the original script. And I would I, I, I don't know if that was like something that was improvised. Like he was supposed to stop at a certain point, like funny, funny how he just prolonged it and just like start ad-libbing and you know, whatever. And he just got to them and like, ah. and then the laughs were so funny. Like laughs those so laughs was like memes to this day. Like it was so funny. I have really like, odd laugh like in my head. <laughs> Yo, it was like the laughs, the interaction. The gym, like, how the people use. <laughs> and how like, you, I don't know if he was, like, scared or alive. I don't know if this was a true or they just added in for the writer's purposes or just movie purposes. I don't know if it's based on the true story or whatever. Um, but you can tell how, like, fearful people were of Tommy DeVito. And I was depicted, like, funny. Like, Jimmy, funny. Like, what, what are you talking Like, I'm a clown? Like, what you did? Like, he just, like, he just stopped. He looked around, like, you. <laughs> like, everybody was fooled. That's the like. That's the crazy. I think mean, that's the best. The, best the guys behind Henry, like they were serious too. Just like, yo, we know this guy loves to kill people. Like he's capable of killing you right now if he wanted to. So, uh, I don't know what to do here <laughs> because they can't. Like even when Joe Pesci died, like Joe Pesci, Tommy DeVito died, you can't do anything about it because you're not full blown Italian. Yeah, not full blown Italian, but um, yeah, it, it made the scene because of the. The reactions, the laughs, and then the laugh after he was like, "Man, I'm just messing with you, bro. Like, just chill. Like, just that that natural reaction." Because if I was in a show, like, oh, "What you mean? Like, funny? Like, ha 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 ha? Can we go back to the conversation? <laughs> Can we just go back and act like that didn't happen?" Right. <laughs> um, but 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 after listening to most memorable quotes, um, I had as far back as I remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Um, never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. I like going this way. It's better than waiting in line. Um, he's a good fella. He's one of us. You understand we're good fellas, wise guys. Um, if they had been wise guys, I wouldn't have heard a thing. I would have, I would um, be dead. And finally, that's the hardest part. Today, everything is different. There's no action. Um, to you, kind of like what was maybe one or two of, of the most memorable quotes in this one? Obviously, you know, funny, funny how. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about you, mother <laughs> trucker, I almost had him. I almost had him. Hell, you straight. <laughs> like the whole thing. And then, ah, uh, shoot. When he found that when, um, what's the character? Uh, Robert De Niro's character. What is his name? I'm about to tell you right now. James Jimmy Conway. Conway. Yeah, Jimmy James Conway. Yeah, yeah. When he was in the telephone booth, he's like, what do you mean? What happened? Oh, what? yeah. He's just like, ah, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know what he said, but just like that. I wouldn't say that scene. I forgot to say that scene and the scene that he got shot in the back of the head. He thought he was going to get... Wasn't that was it? definitely one of the top, yeah. 
a top one. He was saying he's gonna get made, not made, but um, I can't remember what he, what, what was the the big celebratory moment when you about to get made or be come up to be a, a head honcho at the table. I don't know. Yeah, that that was definitely a, a pivotal uh, a scene in this one. Um, interesting to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, just um, how it was presented as a film that had the space and leisure to to expand and just kind of explore its themes was was really interesting. Um, it's not about any particular plot, but just the method is is a methodical expansion through the levels of the mafia and really like taking you through all the steps and layers that they had to get into it. Um, looking. At the particular, what particular element of this film uh, did you kind of like the most? The authenticity, man. The, yeah. From from um, <clears throat> excuse me, Henry Hills, and how Martin Scorsese shot it, um, how he, he he kept to the roots, how Joe Pesci has been around the wise guys quotation or, or that lifestyle, so he can depict that so perfectly. I think all of it was authentic to what the mobsters. And I, this sounds so. <laughs> crazy to say this, but it's authentic, authentic to what they did in the role or the, the I guess, the title they had in this life, um, life of crime. So it was authentic. We didn't get any fake stuff. We got the whole nine, what happened, what the language was, time and place, how they did things, how the standard of the family standard or the standards of Pauly, what he, what he said goes, like, no, like you're not you're not doing the right thing. So I thought it was it was super authentic to what the mobster's life of crime really was. Cause you get some fake movies out here just just be just doing random stuff. Yeah. Um it, it, it was there any character kind of maybe that was not a headlining one in this one that, that you feel is because i I mean Karen uh who was played by Lorraine uh, Abraco, like she was a, a major, you know, character in the film, like in terms of just her or kind of decline with Henry Hill and just their relationship not, you know, functioning as well. Like, was there any character outside of the headlining ones that you think maybe played a more significant role or just was not talked about as much? Yeah. Um, well, it's loading for me. I'm about to tell you his name. And I know why he got this role. Vinny. <laughs> you know why? That's Mark Scorsese's family member. Oh, goodness. His name is Charles Scorsese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He got the backstage pass because he was Scorsese. <laughs> but though he has like a lot of lawns too, though, bro. Like, oh my goodness! Which is so funny. <laughs> Talk about putting your family members on. <laughs> Man, that is the true embodiment. <laughs> no, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Vinny was like, because he always like Vinny always puts too much onions in the sauce. I didn't put too much onion in the sauce. Like he should have had a bigger role because he probably the sauce was probably good. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, transitioning to our last uh, topic, ten years from now, do you still think it'll be watchable and intriguing? I, I, you know, th this film has you know has been passed the, the decade uh, mark and beyond, um, and, and it definitely will. As this this film just really stands as a time, and there are outstanding performances from every um, leading man and woman. Um, the long shots are, are spectacular, and it's just so commendable how it feels like it, it can even those long shots can pull you out of the movie. Um, but but looking at this, what do you think will continue to make this watchable and intriguing um, another de another decade? Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, Mario Scorsese, boom. Yeah. Easy peasy. I mean, because it, I mean, it's, it's actually an enjoyable film. It keeps you going. It keeps you engaged. I mean, it's, a, it's based on pretty much a true story. 
not everything, but it's based on a true story. I mean, you get to see what mobsters go, went through, how they did, how they operated, what they did, um, especially when people are interested in what the mom did or whatever. I think, but for, for sure, Marsh Scorsese, his resume, and then yeah, Rob De Niro, who had, he didn't really have a big role, but he was still in the film, and Joe Pesci obviously stole the show. And um, yeah, that's what I think would be real watchable. I mean, it's already rewatchable after like 20, 30 years. <laughs> yeah. I, and another thing, do you think Ray Liotta, I think we talked about this in Casino, but do you think Ray Liotta was the, was the right, the perfect guy to play Henry Hill? Like, do you think there was anybody else that could have played that role? Looking back at I mean, he kind of looks like him. I think he had his, he, he nailed his mannerisms because when I, I watched the video of, of him watching the, the film again or watching Goodfellas again, he's like, yeah, Ray, Ray Liotta, he, he played me well. He did, he did certainly, he got my mannerism. Like down. Yeah. So I'm glad he wasn't in a casino, though. Ew. Oh, oh goodness. my gosh. No. I would have. He would not have fit him. Not at all. Mars Scorsese, you're a genius because Ray Liotta. I, you know what? I pose this question. Out of all three of these guys who are in this film, I, Ray Liotta's career just plummeted after this. <clears throat> yeah, that that's another takeaway. He he never had like another film that got up to this height. Never. I mean, he did some voiceover at work, and you know, had some some little films here and there. But I mean, even Joe Pesci, I think Joe Pesci had a better career than than Ray Liotta. But we, we all know Robin Nero just. I mean, Ray Liotta didn't even get the invites to the Irishman. He didn't even get the invites to the Irishman. <laughs> well, let's tell us different they had Al Pacino instead of him, man. They, come on. That's good. Come on, Scorsese. I mean, because Al Pacino <laughs> is a better fit, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, that wraps it up for tonight. Iron Post wants to burn. It's my counterpart, Save Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.